0: Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V-Radio.
1: Good afternoon to those of you in the United States. Good evening to those of you in Europe listening to the show, and good really early morning to those of you down under in Australia listening to V-Radio today. Um, My guest today is once again Aaron, also known as Storm Clouds Gathering on YouTube, Um, Our topic today is going to be the discussion of biometrics and why they should scare you. Um, I know a lot of people are like, well, why should they scare me? And I'm like, well, that's why you're supposed to tune into the show. (laughs) Either way, though, we'll make sure that you guys get this information because this this stuff is really scary and it's kind of important. Um, Before I get into that, though, obviously I'm going to go through my typical announcements. First of all, if this is your first time listening to V-Radio, uh please check out my website, v hyphen or v minus radio Uh there you can click on archives and find a lot more shows like this one. Other shows with Aaron, other shows with uh documentary filmmakers, activists, scientists, um, sometimes even congressmen and senators, presidential candidates, um Basically, any you know, whole you know array of different people who, you know, those of you who might be interested in different forms of activism, whether it be the Zeitgeist Movement, the Venus Project, the Occupy Movement. Um, I'm doing a lot of work on all of that stuff and things that they would find interesting. You'll also find my must-see TV list, a list of free documentaries to watch on the Internet. Um, in addition, there's a forum there for discussion about the show. And if you like V-Radio, um, consider a donation. If even like a tenth of the people who download my show every month donated a dollar, um, I'd be able to fill my donation widgets very quickly and be able to continue doing as much work on this as I do. Um, now, that being said, uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up was actually not related to this topic, but I stumbled across this article and I wanted to kind of go over it, but uh U.S. troops withdrawal from Iraq set for December. Uh, Baghdad, the U.S. is abandoning plans to keep U.S. troops in Iraq past a year-end withdrawal deadline. The Associated Press has learned the decision to pull out fully by January will effectively end more than eight, uh, it will end more than eight years of U.S. involvement in the Iraq war, despite ongoing concerns about its security forces and the potential for instability. The decision ends months of hand-wringing by U.S. officials over whether to stick to a December 31st withdrawal deadline that was set in 2008 or negotiate a new security agreement to ensure that gains made and more than 4,400 American military lives lost since March 2003 do not go to waste. In recent months, Washington has been discussing with Iraqi leaders the possibility of several thousand American troops remaining to continue training Iraqi security forces. A Pentagon spokesman said Saturday that no final decision has been reached about the U.S. training relationship with the Iraqi government. But a senior Obama administration official in Washington confirmed Saturday that all American troops will leave Iraq except for about 160 active-duty soldiers attached to the U.S. Embassy. Yeah, the U.S. Embassy in Iraq is about the size of the Vatican. A senior U.S. military official confirmed that the departure and said the withdrawal could allow future but limited U.S. military training missions in Iraq. Both officials spoke on condition of anonymity because of their sensitivity of the issue. Throughout the discussions, Iraqi leaders have adamantly refused to give U.S. troops immunity from prosecution in Iraqi courts, and the Americans have refused to stay without it. This is where we get to the crux, folks. Um, Basically, the United States has suddenly gone from, well, we're not leaving, to we're not staying unless you give our troops immunity in Iraqi courts. Yeah, you know, that's uh, kind of interesting, actually, kind of, you know, points to something. Uh, Iraq's leadership has been split on whether it wanted American forces to stay. Some argued that further training and U.S. help was vital, particularly to protect Iraq's airspace and gather security intelligence. But others have deeply opposed any American troop presence, including Shiite militiamen who have threatened attacks on any American forces who remain. I'm not going to go over the entire article, but... um. Actually, it's kind of be interesting to get your perspective on this. First, let me go ahead and introduce my guest. Uh, welcome to my show, Aaron. Hey,
0: thanks. Thanks for having me on.
1: So what do you think about that? Uh, you know, all of a sudden we're refusing to stay unless they give our troops immunity in Iraqi courts.
0: I don't know. I, it's, it, it's a little bit perplexing to me.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> it it kind of seems like they're shifting focus and they need, realize they need the resources. Um That might not be a good sign. But, you know, that's me being cynical. I tend to not have high hopes for the Pentagon doing the ethical thing.
1: Well, yeah, I guess it's just when I read that, it kind of raised my eyebrow. I'm like, well, what's what's with this condition? I mean, we all know the bad stuff has happened over there. But, you know, for us to suddenly kind of decide we're going to pick up and leave and unless they give us some kind of immunity in courts, you know, that's. I don't know. I guess it's just it's like they they are, they're afraid that we're going to get exposed for something that you know bad that happened here or there or well everywhere in Iraq. So I
0: think it's I think it's a red herring because we've been giving our troops immunity anyway. It's not like the Iraqi government has had any leverage against the American government when the American government says no, we're not going to prosecute. Nothing happens. I mean, if you look at what happened with Blackwater and all the other atrocities. Um, you know, there's been a few people who've been kind of used as scapegoats when things went too public, but the vast majority of these things have been just slipping through. Um, I think it's it's the same kind of thing as um, what happened with Japan when right before they did Hiroshima, um, is they told Hiroshima, uh, they told the Jap- Japanese government, um, if you know, basically unconditional surrender is the only terms that we're going to ex- accept, And knowing full well that the culture of of Japan could not accept such a dominant um position they couldn't ex- accept giving up their honor so it was making statements intentionally like it, making it appear that they were offering a a way out but really knowing full well what the answer would be so it kind of gives a way of kind of saving their saving face maybe or you know having a justification I don't know mm-hmm. but but I've listened to um politicians you know McCain and a number of other um, on both sides of the aisle talking about um you know the next targets which you know they're considering um Syria and if they're going to do something like that they're going to have to have some some troops freed up so I mean that's a possible interpretation but who knows
1: No, for sure. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. But um, in addition, I mean, yeah, you're right. They would need more. I mean, I know Senator Gravel, uh, when I talked to him about the topic of U.S. foreign policy, um, he pointed out that, you know, he's glad that he ended the draft because a lot of the things that they were talking about, like maybe invading Iran, would take far more troops than they could possibly you know, put together uh, without, uh, without a draft, there isn't enough volunteers, especially not if they're going to continue to maintain wars in Afghanistan. Um, I know if there is a draft, that's going to be my ticket out of this country. I'm not fighting for this country, at least not in those kinds of wars. So um, fortunately enough, they may not take me anyway. I've got enough health problems that I'm probably safe. Um, They might get my ex-wife though. I wouldn't complain about that. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, <clears throat> yes. Alright, so today's show is about biometrics. We were talking about this topic because it's actually impacted your own family recently. Um and obviously now apparently all of France uh and from what I understand from reading about it, uh it's actually gonna be affecting a lot of other countries as well. And obviously immigrants and you know, anybody who wants to travel. Uh so why don't you take a moment and explain you know biometrics, and uh then we'll also you know kind of get you know delve into some of your more personal experiences with it, and then we'll expand the conversation well, I'm sure I mean you have a pretty educated
0: um audience, so I'm sure anybody who's listened to this probably has heard of it um for anybody out there who hasn't, it's essentially using um characteristics of your body that don't change um and storing them in computer databases so that um you can be positively identified as as strong as a fingerprint. In fact, fingerprinting is one form of biometrics. It's basically measuring, you know, life um units, you know, looking at you know, the, the the spaces between um marks and such. Um and there's a number of different forms they can do, you know, Obviously, they can do fingerprinting, iris scans, which are you know scanning your eyes, uh, facial recognition. Uh, they're getting to the point now where they're, they're developing um, other systems that don't even require to actually see up close, but to they measure the uh, the rhythm of your walk because apparently each individual has a slightly different uh, rhythm, a slightly different pattern to the way that their body moves when they walk, and that actually can there's Computer programs can now recognize this. What essentially this comes down to, and the reason this is um, fundamentally dangerous, is no longer does anybody have to have an ID to be identified from a distance. So basically it makes it very easy for government agencies, whether those government agencies are operating in good faith or if they turn in a dark direction to easily isolate who is who And if they want to target somebody, it's very easy. They don't have to ask for your papers. Um, Just walking down the street, you're announcing to them who you are. It makes it easier to control people.
1: You know, it's interesting that you point that out. Um, You know, due to some of my unusual hobbies, sometimes we're out in the woods sneaking around. And I do remember somebody claiming at one point that he could identify uh, certain people by the way they walked. Um, And I at first was kind of skeptical, but then, you know, when I, you know, especially when you've kind of put it in the the context that you just have, you know, that that is kind of an interesting fingerprint uh, to be able to identify somebody with. And I think that uh, especially the reason this is important to people who are involved in any of the freedom movements, it doesn't even matter which one, uh, people who, you know, are going to end up identified, particularly considering the fact that these you know protests are becoming more prevalent again uh we're getting to the, the the scale that i i think we haven't seen you know since the 60s uh between the you know the corporate tea party protests which obviously i don't really support but um occupy wall street is an example and even whether or not you agree with them or not it does you know kind of shine a light on the fact that the government's going to start cataloging these people again um especially now that you know we have certain provisions like the Patriot Act that make it legal to do a lot of things that we wouldn't previously even be able to do. And they're trying to sneak more and more legislation in the United States government all the time. But this is also happening obviously in other countries. So, and that was actually what sparked the conversation was that you said now these will be required in France. You want to go ahead and give some details about that? The law just recently passed
0: and my wife sent me the article and I went and looked at it and I found that, you know, confirmed in a number of places. It hasn't gone into effect yet, um, but it's gonna affect everybody over the age of fifteen. So um you know definitely not a place that I want to be living. Um but that's just for any identification card now you're gonna have to get biometrically scanned in order to live in France. So that means free driver's license. Your passports are already like that in France because of the um United States. The United States pressured all other countries Anybody who wants to visit the United States has to have a biometric passport. Most people don't know that. But um, anybody who has a passport and if you try to go renew it, they, gets, um, they get biometrically scanned. But now it's going to be universal. So even minors are going to be in the system.
1: Yeah, that's it's like a, an excellent opportunity to start putting together a database of these things. It's interesting that we bring this up. I have a passport here right on my desk from my uh, um, trip to Ireland, like, Six or seven years ago, and all I had to do was fill out some paperwork. They took some fingerprints, um, but I guess that was before the concept of biometric scanning was ever brought to the, the forefront. And um, this passport is actually no good after April 2015. Um, but yeah, I, I see it, it'd be interesting to see if they have anybody who shows up with older passports at some point. You know, who is told, well, your passport's not good anymore. You need to go get this biometric scanning. Now, um, because uh, obviously, you, you know, your wife had to go through this uh, for a while because of being an immigrant from France. Um,
0: which well, just is, for being an immigrant from any country. You know, from any, any country,
1: country, right. I was just like, yeah, because there's so many evil terrorists coming over from France. Um, it, but yeah, from any country. Um, go ahead and describe how that went. Well, if
0: you want to immigrate to the United States, regardless of the context. And our context was we're married. Um, We have a kid. um, She's a nice, sweet little lady. She doesn't pose any security threat. She has no criminal record whatsoever. Um, But that's regardless. Uh, And it's irrespective of of, um, any context. They do the same thing to everybody.
1: Um,
0: Sure. And basically what it comes down to is you go through an interview process, then – you have to give all your financial information. You have to prove that you make enough money. <laughs> if you're poor, you can't bring your wife to the United States. And then if they accept all that, then they tell you you have to go get biometrically scanned. And that was kind of a surprise. We didn't get warned of that um, until we were already fully in, into the process and already paid um, you know, $1,500. And... The biometric scanning is all your fingerprints taken, pictures taken from every direction, iris scan, and um, it's basically everything they would need to be able to um, pick you out of a crowd. And then after that, every time you reenter the country, you get scanned. So they take her and make her put her hands up against a hand scanner and scan their eye and take a picture. So it's not very pleasant to re-enter the country once you've gotten and, a residence card.
1: And then they—they they, it costs a lot of money. You know, that was something else you said. It you know, like they—they basically charge you for this. Uh, I mean, how much money were you guys dealing with again?
0: Well, the first part of the process. I mean, I don't remember. It's hard to say exactly because it was is divided among, among a number of forms. But I know it was over fifteen hundred for the first part of the process. And then there was more. And it, but it, because it staged out, I don't know the full total of what we paid. But if we wanted to renew, then it was going to be another 600. Um, and that's when we decided, you know what, that's enough. And also they were going to make us redo the biometrics and that was that wasn't unacceptable. We just reached this realization that it just it was no longer worth being in the United States long before any of the other stuff came up.
1: Now... Yeah, I guess especially with the kind of cost that you're talking about right there, it's it's insane, you know. And especially since they just made you redo them when you had already done them, I, I know it. It just it seems like it's something they're milking the heck out of. And you know, it, it also, I mean, I my gut instinct for things like that is always, you know, it's like, okay, did did you end up on a list somehow of people that they're just going to try to make life difficult for, you know, in the United States and stuff like that yeah you know,
0: you can go you can go on their website and verify everything. You just have to read very, very carefully and ask the right questions um you know once I actually figured out every single piece of paperwork that that was required you know it's 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 all out there on the website. The problem is is that it's hard to give them to tell you the entire process all in advance. Um, and all the requirements for it because you have to read all the fine print. There's pages and pages and pages and pages of documents that you have to do. And I don't think I read everything as clearly as I probably should have. We were just, you know, nervous that they were going to reject us. Right. Um, because it's, it's, very literally, if you don't make enough money, you don't have the right to have um, your wife. That's what it comes down to. And um, my particular situation was especially harrowing because I had to come up with some way of explaining the fact that I didn't have any tax returns.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm sure they would have loved to hear about that. You know, that's, uh, it's interesting though, that, you know, like, you know, like we were saying, this is an example of the kind of crap that they make people go through to immigrate to the United States. You know, imagine, you know, for example, you're a Mexican and you're trying to get into the, you know, the country, uh, legitimately and legally, you can't afford all that you know, obviously, I couldn't afford that. And I am a US citizen, you know, it just to have like a a money dump to put into something like that. You know, and the funny thing is, is that they're going through all this effort to harass people who want to, you know, immigrate into this country legitimately. Yet, for some reason, so many of the people higher ups, you know, they, they kind of turn a blind eye to people who come illegally. I mean, they will get you eventually, but it's just it's not an effort that they're really putting into the to the degree that you would think, would justify the kind of crap that they're going on, you know, what's going on with you guys. Now, I I guess, you know, to kind of, to to kind of get back to the general topic is, you know, uh, this essentially is the kind of um, documentation of human beings that would be required for um, any kind of effective fascist takeover. Um, It's a step in the direction that, you know, would, you know, would have the kind of, you know, catalog information uh, for things like this. I mean, it's just like a, I saw an example of this. It's one of the moments because like one of the reasons I am the person I am is because of who my mother was. My mother and I spent a lot of time talking about things like this. And when we were watching the movie Red Dawn together, which was a family favorite, uh, there was a point at which the, the Russians, you know, uh, they, you know, they said, OK, well, we've invaded. What do we do now? And uh, the, the leader looked at the or actually the Cuban leader, I think, actually looked at the Russian soldiers and said, OK, well, now you're going to go to all the sporting goods stores um And look up their registries for lists of private ownership of firearms, and you know they started rounding up everybody who was registered. you know it basically made it easy for an invading country at that point to figure out who had the guns uh and essentially uh, for violating that they you know like one of the kids' fathers who send them off into the woods with a bunch of stuff from his sporting goods store um was executed you know, for giving away the the firearms when the the Russian troops had landed. You know, and that's just the example of a foreign enemy coming and doing things like this. Um, it's one of the issues with registration for firearms now is that if the government ever did decide, OK, well, um, yeah, we're done with freedom. We're just going to switch to fascism now um, just to be able to line up and figure out, you know, how easily it would be to, to disarm the populace. Uh, and I imagine now, um, you know, you're probably going to be looking at biometrics for things like owning firearms. Uh, for other licenses and um that that you might need even just to be able to drive do all kinds of other things i mean we've already talked about the the real i d act and the the different things that they're adding to people's uh requirements for their their driver's licenses their state i d s you know uh, things like that um i guess the you know as far as you know these sorts of things are concerned, what do you think um the listeners should be concerned about or or what do you predict that they 'll see that you know what will we be seeing next well
0: i i Try to steer away from specific predictions, but I do like to refer to back to history and a lot of things. Um, there is a lot of precedent for cataloging of people before um, ill-intentioned um, actions occur like if you look at the um, look at Nazi Germany before long before Hitler actually started doing anything to the Jews, they started building a database getting the names, they forced all the Jews to register. Um, and what people don't realize is if you operate on the Internet, which pretty much everybody in the modern world who is um, interacting with the public, um, they're all having to interact with the Internet. If you do that, then your information is tied directly to you. So uh, it's through an IP address. People think that they're being all clever and anonymous by wearing sunglasses and um, you know not showing their face. It's relevant They they have all that information already. They can trace it exactly to your house and after that they know who you are and then they have your driver's license. And if you have biometrics, then they know exactly um what you look like and they can basically pinpoint you in anywhere you go. And because they're making these databases more and more um shared between countries, um what's what's likely is that you would reach a point where there would be no way of evading um, detection if your government turned against you um, and I think that's something that we should really be aware of I personally have experienced that and I've talked to recently I've talked to other people um, who have YouTube channels who are you know being political who have been visited uh, so the United States already is pushing in the direction of cracking down on people who are saying things they don't like and historically it just happens over and over again when people when governments reach a point where they're losing control of the population they look for whoever is shifting the ideas whoever is causing the most problems intellectually because that's the real danger for them um, if you look at um uh you know the the chinese or the um the soviet um revolutions one of the first things that happened is that the the intellectuals disappeared right death.
1: people with dangerous ideas you know um and that's the whole concept behind the book burning it's you know the the any ideas that you know you don't want people to be thinking along the lines of uh anything that can break up the the propaganda uh that is being utilized by the state to control you before you even get to the anything physically uh the, the psychological aspects of it and of course the the issues of biometrics at this point are you know you know they can scan this sort of stuff with cameras i presume and they put these cameras everywhere and so at that point even if you've dyed your hair or gone through whatever level of disguise you know just from you walking around they're going to know who you are or at least have a good idea and be able to stop you and say hey you know um uh, we need to talk to you and then figure out who you are at that point it would make any form of uh, resistance movement that anybody might want to do uh, much more difficult and you can probably imagine you know there's actually a a video that i i watched a long time ago called this is what a police state looks like It was made by some protesters in oregon uh during a protest against george bush and they had gotten a hold of some camera footage uh from the police department that they had taken and um, as the lady who was uh, narrating the video pointed out, you know, what are they going to do with this information? Because these police officers were going out of their way to zoom in on people's faces, uh, to get their identities. Uh, and anybody who looked like a leader, they, they targeted them, took them aside, you know, made sure to get all kinds of information on them. You know, uh, when they arrested Charlie Veach, you know, at that recent you know protest going on in Canada... Um, you know, they took all kinds of information on him, and one of the reasons he got off Facebook was that in order to get the information of the fellow he had been staying with in Canada, um they they pulled up his Facebook profile and it was all right there. You know, it was, you know, that this the, the state, the establishment used Facebook. That's one of the reasons why Charlie removed himself from it. Um, you know, all these different ways that you know, this kinds of, infor- this kind of information can be abused. Uh, that people are not thinking about, I think that's, you know, especially, you know, we're being slowly conditioned to accept it, uh, like the, the searches that we're getting at airports, you know, um, they're not going to the same degree, uh, you know, of, you know, of effort, you know, like on the borders to the, you know, to the outside of this country, uh, that they are in regards to that, you know, we need to feel up, you know, uh, and five-year-olds and I'm glad I'm not leaving the country anytime soon because I'm, I'm not, I'm not having that, um, especially not my daughter, you know, uh, but um, in, in any case, you know, they're trying to slowly make us accustomed to the idea that this is just what you do. This is acceptable, you know, that this is for your protection. These are the things that they tell you to get you to be more accepting of something unusual as, you know, these kinds of invasive searches. And now, you know, storage of that invasive information, you know, I think you mentioned something about taking pictures of somebody at a lot of different angles. Um, did, you know, like something about like, I don't know if like it was with, with or without clothing. I, I couldn't remember the details, but um, she
0: didn't have, to, she didn't have to take her clothes off. But I mean, as you know, these scanners most, most people don't realize the the full body scanners that they have at the airports, those are producing a three dimensional biometric um, image. It's far more um, impressive than than just uh, someone taking pictures. So they are building those the capacity for that. Now they're saying that they're not storing it, but the chances of that staying that way are, are slim to none. I mean, they have the capacity, and at some point they're going to say that they need to um, exercise that capacity. And eventually, what it, I believe what will come come down to is instead of having an identification or a card, maybe you'll have to have one too. But mm-hmm. um, it won't really matter because you'll walk through a door and they'll basically determine if it's really you or not.
1: Well, yeah. And that, that actually kind of stands to reason that they could be amassing these databases right now without even telling you, you know, if they're scanning you at the airport, they could just as easily store all that information and associate it with your identity right there. It doesn't even have to be anything special. It doesn't have to be anything about immigration, you know, you could just be moving through an airport and then they could get your info right there. You know, um you could be walking down a street and they could you know that they can get it. So that's that that's the reason why this is so bad and I think that one of the reasons I wanted to do a show about this is that this is on a level that I don't think people have really thought about. To be identified by your walk, you know, by your movements. You know, by by just the, these basic concepts, these are things you can't really disguise without making it pretty obvious that you're trying to disguise them. Um, you know, that's, I guess, you know, I imagine I'm sure they've got, you know, they've found ways maybe to try to, you know, mess this up on the, you know, the CIA level or something in case they need to get around. But um, the, the levels of technology that this is one of the reasons, like when I tell people, I'm like, you know, the, I've watched you know the, the what was it, future weapons show on the military channel, uh on cable more than once. And that's just the stuff they're willing to talk about. You know, like um I'm looking, you know, to the future now of like at some point they're gonna break up protests with that microwave cannon that makes everybody in a football field size uh, you know, space feel like they're on fire. Doesn't actually set you on fire. Um, They had a a Navy SEAL, who's the host of the show, test it, and he couldn't stay in there longer than three seconds. You know, it's invisible. You can't see it. They can fire it at you, and you don't want to stay wherever it is that you are. You know, these are the kinds of technologies that are being developed right now. And, of course, they say, oh, well, this is to break up insurgents in other countries, as if we're supposed to believe that it'll never be used on us. You know, when you think about it, the microwave cannon is probably one of the best Um, uh, tools for breaking up a demonstration you could ever come up with you know because it doesn't do any damage to somebody unless for some reason they're stupid enough to stay in the area where the beam is although most people will probably disperse just from a brief burst of something like that you know and that's an example though of the kind of level that we're getting at you can only imagine that the kind of technology that they're using to catalog catalog who people are you know of course they're probably once again justifying that in the name of well we need to Keep track of you know who people are in these countries that we're occupying to, you know to try to figure out who the insurgents are. you know p- people are basically brainwashed to think, well, that'll never get used on me or well I'm not a terrorist, so it doesn't matter. Uh, they don't realize that um, you may not be a terrorist now, uh, but in the event that there was some kind of fascist takeover, you could pretty easily be labeled one um, when you look at the this is something when I was running for Congress. When you look at the different ways that the, the, they basically managed to put, like Patriot Act two, I don't know if you've ever read it, was far worse than Patriot Act one. They couldn't pass it, but it had all kinds of stuff in it that, when combined, that's the other thing. They combined these things. It wasn't just the Patriot Act. Patriot Act plus Military Commissions Act, because they put other stuff in the Military Commissions Act of these are, you know, the secret tribunals and the secret this and you know, basically, you know, depriving someone of due process um, is all in the Military Commissions Act. But it doesn't work on U.S. citizens. Patriot Act II was going to allow them to strip uh, citizenship from anyone that they determined to be an enemy combatant, which then would make them susceptible to everything in the uh, Military Commissions Act. Uh, this is stuff that they then try to sneak back in, like uh, somebody I know who tracks this stuff saw that they took elements of Patriot II and then they'd stick them in other places, like, uh, like for example, on a CIA budget. They just stuck this little provision in there that had nothing to do with the CIA budget, hoping that people like Ron Paul, Dennis Kucinich, the kinds of congressmen who actually care about this sort of stuff, wouldn't notice. You know, uh, well, I don't need to vote on a CIA thing. You know, I got stuff to do for my campaign. They may not notice that, oh, yeah, right there. Um, lots of little sneaky ways that certain elements of the elected officials will will try to pass these things by. Um, amazes me also how few people read this stuff. Um, one of my most memorable moments of uh, when I was running for Congress was when I was explaining the Patriot Act to somebody, uh, one of my constituents at, at the time. And um, he was he literally accused me of lying. He said, No, no, you're making that up. That's all conspiracy theory nonsense. And, and I said, Oh, okay, you, you think so? You know, is that a is that a blackberry you got there? And he's like, yeah. And, um, I had him look at the the White House website. I think it was actually it wasn't about the Patriot Act. It was about uh, uh, the um, the executive orders that George Bush did that allowed certain things that were unconstitutional, combined with the Patriot Act. And I had him just look it up himself, right there. I had him read the stuff that's in plain English on the White House website, and the guy got really quiet. You know. <laughs> Because he was a total neoconservative, he was a big time Bush fan. I, I I was astonished to see that anybody was still a Bush fan, but they exist in the rich neighborhoods in particular that I had to go through in my in my uh, district when I was running for Congress, um, and how few of these people would have ever ever think to do that. They would have heard something like that, assumed that it was conspiracy theory, assumed that it wasn't true, and I had to send him to the White House website specifically to read this stuff, and then when I you know when he, when we were done. He didn't say, "Oh, gee, I guess you're right." He just kind of got quiet and then just started talking about something else because he couldn't face the reality of what was sitting there right in front of him. Um, I mean, have you ever had any experiences like that?
0: All the time. I mean, it's it's, the, it's essentially normalcy bias. Just people cannot accept that the thing, the life that they have in front of them, could ever turn in a bad direction, or that that the world that they think. Um, is um, you know the way it is could be something completely different and, and you know especially when you're dealing with stuff like biometrics where the implications aren't completely clear it's it's hard for people to, to come to terms with that um, but it, really anybody who's going to be making a case that this is all harmless is going to have to be arguing against history because history has is Nothing but this kind of thing. It's, it's actually the exception. The time that we're living in this brief period, and it, it's not you know perfect right now. The United States is killing its own citizens with drone strikes, as happened recently. Um, you know they're you know doing all sorts of things that we're not com- hearing about on the mainstream news. But um, historically, the norm has been for dictatorial um, control to, to be established and for it to be exercised. And they have all the the tools at their disposal and they've been expanding and, and growing those tools more and more. And to, to to assume that they're just doing it because they don't want to use it is is ridiculous. Of course they're going to use it at some point. If, if Hitler had had a fraction of the tools that, that the current U.S. government has, I, I think a, a lot less Jews would have escaped.
1: Right. That's very true. And I mean, even with, You know, what they did, um, I I think that's another one of the reasons why people don't understand that this is more insidious is that because of the fact that um, it's just like I say to people with communism and how when fascism and things like it take root in a capitalist country, it can almost be more insidious and more difficult to detect because you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, this media that's feeding me crap you know well, well well it's a privately owned media so therefore you know it's not a government owned media so therefore it's going to always be telling me the truth you know and then they they tend to forget the little lines between corporations and, and government that don't even really exist that you can't even get into the government unless you've sold your soul to corporations in the first place but that being said um the the fascism in uh, Nazi Germany and the fascism in communist you know Russia you know the USSR were obvious they were extremely obvious you know they had patrols going around they you know they'd ask you for your papers everywhere you know to to keep track of you know who's going where and why and these sorts of things um they they work in in a short term but they eventually slowly um will cause revolutions because people don't want to do that you know it's just a matter of time before the stress builds up and people are more tired of being scared when they walk down the street you know, than they are of the guns of the people who are, you know, making them scared. It's just a matter of time on that. But if you can control a populace without any guns, you know, if you can keep track of where people are going um, without any like, you know, checkpoints, things along that line, you know, then when somebody is a problem, you know, let's say they identify you because you're walking down a street and they have you identified with biometrics, then they'll just haul you off the street quietly while nobody's looking. You know, requires far less manpower, far less resources expended than the checkpoint system they had in Nazi Germany. Um and is can be done so much more quietly that people can it makes it easier for people to go on with their lives pretending everything is okay.
0: Yeah, that's the real danger, because they have the means now to kill from a distance. And if you know, we're looking at things like drones, which they're already Starting to have drone patrols over the United States, and we're getting conditioned for all these things. But what people don't realize is, as soon as someone comes into power who is willing to exercise the power that exists there, and or if if there comes a moment when the people are actually reaching that that threshold where they're actually taking back the power, then you're going to see people disappear, and it's it's gonna, they're going to be able to do it in such a way that um, it's not going to be very obvious i mean it, you can shoot somebody from you know a distance with the with modern technology with with these drones with their controlled by computers that no one will actually see the drone or they can do it with helicopters that no one will actually see the helicopter and the person will just fall dead no explanation so
1: yep uh, for sure that's you know that's something i always said in the scenario you know is the reason why i had a show just a few days ago about why we would need the military in the event of, a, of an attempted fascist takeover. I right? had a couple of former military guys there, you know, and we were just talking about the, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. The soldiers are made up of us. You know, they're human beings. You know, we need to be sure that we don't alienate them because the government's going to try to hit them with propaganda in the same way that the Nazis hit, you know, they get the people who joined the Gestapo and the SS with propaganda to, to convince them that it was okay to round people up in camps and exterminate them. They're going to be using propaganda to try to turn these people against us. And if we do anything to alienate them, then we're only going to aid that process. And the the reason that stuff like that comes up is that we're kind of to a stage now where particularly here um, in a situation where it's actually a lot easier to control people in the United States than it is in Afghanistan. They always use the example. Well, the people in Afghanistan. I'm like, well, the people of Afghanistan, first of all, uh, throwing the Soviets out is a horrible example because technology is – a million times better now that that keeps coming back to that future weapons idea. Um, you know, if, if you're having a resistance movement meeting in your house, they could be monitoring you, you know, especially because people don't think about this because they, you know, they're, they've never been a subject of surveillance, but they could figure out that, uh, you're having one of those meetings through surveillance, um, you know, like in the movie V for Vendetta, where they just had surveillance trucks that just drove around all day, you know, randomly, you know, finding people, you know, like looking into people's homes to see what they were talking about.
0: Well, they don't um, even need that now with cell phones, because they, I've already seen this on mainstream news. Go ahead. They, they, they can turn on your cell phone without you turning it on, and they can listen to everything in your house. They, they found the perfect way of bugging every single house through your own cell phones. Yeah. You, the only way, you can ter- only way you can turn it off is if you remove the battery, which if you're using something like an iPhone… That's not that easy.
1: Right, right. Um, And, but basically just to say, you know, they could overhear that you're having one of these resistance meetings. Um, Then, you know, this is just if they want to be unsubtle, you know. uh, They could basically um, radio to uh, a YF-22 Raptor and not too many militiamen have one of those. uh, Have a uh, laser-guided bomb drop and explode and blow up just your house. Nothing else. You know, it's a totally different world than, you know, the Germans trying to keep, you know, the resistance down in France or in other countries might overhear through informants or whatever that maybe there's a resistance meeting going on at this building, you know, so then they got to roll up. And, you know, it, it's definitely not subtle, you know, when they go in and shoot everybody or whatever, you know, it, and it's much more effort, much more likely that people are going to survive. You know, you can post lookouts, you are gonna post a lookout for a YF-22 Raptor, you know, you're going to post a lookout for a laser guided bomb. You know, it's a different world. And that's one of the reasons why I tell people we need to win this war in the minds of the human beings, particularly in people in the military, a police force, the people that we, you know, we're allowing ourselves to feel are the enemy. And, and, and obviously, they are tools of the state. We need to look at them as being people who, in many ways, are probably some of the biggest victims of state mind control that there are. And more and more soldiers and more and more police come forward um, realizing that something is up. And it's gonna come down to their um as you know, the Fire Team for Freedom, the guys that I had on at another radio show, um, you know, it's gonna come down to their uh their oath to uphold and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, to say, uh, how about um no, uh you can't round up these people and put them in a camp? Um how about no? Uh you can't, you know, violate this guy's due process. And how about no you can't violate these people's Second, Second Amendment rights. And according to the oath that I swore to, you trying to make me do these things means that you're the enemy, and now I'm bringing you in. And that's, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, as the, the the TV show Jericho we were talking about was developing, I kept expecting that Beck guy, you know, to finally snap out of it, and eventually he does. You know, unfortunately, the show ends right afterwards, which was kind of a drag. Um, you know, but it's going to be circumstances like that where there are people in the military who are human beings who have families, you know, who inevitably are going to go, uh, enough, we're not doing this anymore. And, you know, so, but, you know, overall, though, I, I said to them, you know, it's just that, uh, as biometrics and things like this get more and more, uh, more and more potent and they are just going to continue to get better as technology gets developed, uh, we are going to be in a situation where eliminating any form of resistance is going to just become so easy. You know, Um, and that's why I tell people, uh, you know, the protests are good, but, you know, focus on trying to get the right ideas into people's minds. Focus on doing work like yours, where we open people up and, and, you know, you ask a lot of great, compelling questions in your videos, um, where you're trying trying to put people into the mindset of, you know, well, what about this? What about that? You know, and in many cases, asking questions is almost uh, more compelling than just telling somebody something because when you ask them a question, it engages their mind. And in some cases, just out of sheer curiosity, somebody will respond to you asking them a question more than they will to you just trying to tell them like it is, you know, it's um, so, Especially, I guess, go ahead and comment a little bit on that. The idea of like getting people to open their minds and to think about the things we're talking about.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, especially when you're talking about these these issues with the the military and such. Um, one of the things that I really, really want to fight, and it's one of the main underlying cores of what I'm doing on YouTube, is, is the uh, the group mentality, the t- tendency to conform to the crowd and to conform to authority. And uh, there's a number of experiments that have been done to really demonstrate just how severe the the current state of humanity, um, just how severely they've fallen into this. Um, A good example is the Ash experiments. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right. Maybe it was the Ash. But um, if you look it up, it's basically they put these people in a room um, where almost everybody is an actor, it's just one person who's a, a real um, participant. And um, the game is you're, sp- you're given these very, very, very simple questions Like no one could mistake it. You know, which line is longer, this line or this line or this line? And it's obvious that you know line B is the long one. But then everybody in the group will say line A is the long one. And in those experiments, upwards of 80 percent. These have been repeated numerous times. Um, would go along with the crowd even if it was just obvious, just stupid obvious, that the crowd was bullshit. Um, And the same thing has been demonstrated with authority, with the Milgram experiment, where people were given an order by an unofficial authority figure, not someone who was a police officer, someone who was just the authority figure because they were organizing the experiment, because they were wearing a white coat. They didn't have any legal authority whatsoever, but they were told And the people believed that they were going to be shocking these people in any other room each time they pressed a button, and they were given the order to press the button. And the vast majority of people pushed the button over and over again, hearing the other person in the room, who wasn't really getting shocked, but was screaming in agony as if he was getting shocked. And the people were very disturbed and upset about it, but they kept pressing the button. And a percentage of them – a disturbingly high percentage of them kept pressing the button even after they were informed that that would cause death. So it, it, this is what we're up against. We're up against people who we're up against a, a, a social phenomenon where people have been so trained to conform, so trained to obey, so trained to go along with the crowd that even if they have the right ideas in their head, you know, you ask a soldier, "Are you going to shoot? You know, shoot your fellow citizens?" No, of course not. But if the order comes down. Chances are they're gonna do it, especially if all the other soldiers are doing it. That's the problem. And that's what we have to fight. We have to we have to teach people to break free to, to actually be independent. And this is very, very difficult. But this that's the stakes are so high that we can't afford not to.
1: It's actually interesting, uh the what what you're talking about there. Uh um Professor Roger Stahl. Uh, the maker of Militainment Incorporated and Returning Fire, uh, looking into the video game culture. Uh, In his last film, Returning Fire, uh, and he's been on my show several times. For those of you listening, if you want to check it out in the archives, it's a great guy. Uh, Militainment Incorporated was a documentary film about how the uh, media is going out of its way to kind of romanticize and fetishize military and war Uh, to make it into a money-making business as far as covering it. But we can get into that at a later point. But um, at one point, uh, one of the people that he interviewed uh, for returning fire was an Iraqi fellow who was trying to bring out awareness of different things that were going on in Iraq that were not, you know, obviously not humane. And he set up a website called Shoot an Iraqi. Uh, And in that website, basically, you know, what he had done was he rigged a – paintball gun um robotically and put a camera on it and you could go on his website and basically aim this paintball gun at him and try to shoot him. And um it was kind of like a I know this sounds bizarre and it was bizarre, uh but it was basically kind of a social experiment on his part. And he basically lived in this room for a certain amount of time. You know, he had food brought to him and all that. I think it was like a month that he was in this room being shot at by random people on the internet. And I don't know if you've ever been hit with a paintball gun and it's not horrible, but if it happens a lot, you know, it, it does, you, you get sore, you know? Um, and it was some of the hits and some of the comments that were being made were just from people who were being really cruel, uh, you know, and it, uh, there was a, a counterbalance to it that gave me some hope in that by the end of the, the film, there was a group of anti-war protesters who kind of took over the website and moved the camera off to the left. And and he didn't know about it, um, but he eventually was looking at the comments again and they said, you know, hi, we are this anti-war organization and um, we're going to protect you for the rest of this month. And they basically just kept the camera over to the left and they wouldn't let anybody shoot him. Um, but it kind of plays into what you're talking about, about the mentality that um, we're, we're kind of to a point now where people are, are losing their uh, connection um, with what it is that they're doing. In a situation like you're talking about, uh, there was actually a Robert Sapolsky interview at one point, actually it was a, a lecture he was given. Uh, he's a, for those of you who might remember Sapolsky, he was one of the professors in Zeitgeist III uh, talking about human behavior. And he was discussing the psychology of soldiers who pilot predator drones that kill human beings in the other like in the other corners of the world uh, because they do them obviously remote. Like you could literally be, uh, I think that we you know the description he gave was like you know you could be uh, go to work, uh, kill some people with a predator drone, and then uh you know leave work and go to your daughter's you know ba- you know ballet recital you know in the same day, uh, and the psychological differences with things like that. Uh, That are happening. And that's, and that's another element of the technology that I I think is going to be dangerous, uh, especially if we ever automate these things. Oh, well, you've been identified. And then then the machine just, you know, kills you. Um, You know, all of these things together, particularly when it comes to the the video game culture, you know, we're being desensitized to, to what war is, to what violence is. Um, The government has gone out of its way to make these sorts of things entertaining. Um, to people, and in that way, it kind of desensitized people to what goes on. And this is true of a lot of other things. I mean, we're talking about the you know desensitivity to the biometrics and things along that line. Um, but it, we are coming to a different age, and I think that unfortunately, that means that people need to understand that to protect themselves, it's a different matter. You know, like when somebody's passing out propaganda flyers, you could just choose not to take them. They're pretty obvious who's you know who's doing that. Well. You know, if they're part of the Communist Party, the Tea Party, whatever, you know, they usually identify themselves on the top of the flyer. And one of the things we're going to cover in the troll documentary is that somebody could be spreading propaganda to you anonymously, claiming to be a concerned citizen. They could be working for a corporation or a government. You won't even know until you're reading their stuff and then noticing that a lot of other people are reading their stuff and going, oh, well, you know, the herd mentality activates. And then suddenly you're like, oh, well. All these people are are believing this, so maybe it's true. You know, um, so give your give some you know commentary on what comes to mind when I mention that religion. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those really touchy topics. No one likes to touch. No one likes to go into. But well, some people like to go into it, but they end up usually becoming isolated and becoming like a basically a limited group like if you get um pat condell i mean obviously he's got his fans but he doesn't have very many christian fans um you know people get really attached to certain things like that and they think that those things are above question but it's all tied together and i really i really have been focusing in a lot about uh, on the subject of of how religion is uh it causes a, a, a rift in the mind. It causes a, a schism. And I, I truly, honestly believe that this is once that schism is created, it's, it's it can be translated into any aspect of your life. I've seen it personally um, with my family. Um, because what what you end up doing to a person when you tell them when they're children that if they don't believe this one idea, which say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you don't believe this then you go to eternal punishment, and the punishment is, you know, being burned alive, and having demons eat you, and being, you know, having worms crawl through your flesh, and having fire burn you, burn you, and burn you, and burn you forever and ever and ever, and it never ends. It's scary for a kid, who, someone who doesn't have enough um, context to be able to say that's bullshit. But once you get a person to believe that, then everything in their mind has to be geared in such a way to prevent themselves from stopping believing because they're scared of not of not believing because if they stop believing then they go to hell. So they have to protect that belief. And when, and once you do that, you you create this this wiring of the brain where what you need to believe is capable of overriding everything else. And I've seen it, you know, people who are extremely technically intelligent, people who have, you know, degrees people who can write circuits, people who can, you know, fix anything, get confronted with a very, very simple physics problem. And it's just, you know, can steel melt in, in the basement of a building if a plane hits the, the the top of the building, you know, 90 floors up? Can steel be molten in the bottom because of that? Well, you know, a person who has a, a college education who is in religion, I've seen them turn right around and say, maybe it was the weight of the building that caused that. Maybe it was the weight of the building. As if the weight of the building changed, as if the weight got more after the plane hit it. But that's that's what happens when a person has made that leap, when they've gotten conditioned to, to stick to a belief no matter what, then it can be applicable to anything. And I think that's why it's become, it's always been, um, supported by the state, where religion and, and the state have, have t- typically gone together.
1: You know, it's interesting that you point that out because nationalism is a religion in of itself. You know, the uh, the fatherland, the motherland. You know, getting people really, really patriotic to the point of being psychopathic about it, um, mm-hmm. to the point of being willing to stomp somebody, you know, <laughs> uh, at a protest because you don't like what they're saying. You know, uh, things like that, you know, it's, you, you can get so caught up in that, that, that you're not even thinking clearly anymore. Uh, you know, it's just like in church, you know, there are a lot of, like, I have a friend of mine, for example, well, former friend, he's not a friend anymore, but not because of his choices in regards to religion, um, <laughs> He's this really Christian fellow who decided that taking off and not paying his rent was suitable. In <laughs> um, any question, in uh, any or any point, you know, case, uh, uh, he is drawn into the church because he gets to belong to something. He's very socially awkward, insecure, and so the church at that point has power because it's a place that he can go and be accepted regardless of his social awkwardness. Um, and they exploit that. They make you want to belong to something. And then after you have decided to belong to it, then eventually over time, you're starting to give money to it, give effort to it. And the same thing is basically true. You know, uh, after World War II patriotism, or more specifically Pearl Harbor, uh, patriotism soared. And the idea that we need to defend ourselves against, you know, defend America and America, America, America is so great. This, this, and that, you know, and um, you know, it's, like and the same thing happened after nine eleven, a surge in people volunteering to go get those Iraqis who bombed us in nine eleven. You know. Um I was actually dealing with this just the other day because I, I used the word terrorism and uh not in reference to people blowing stuff up. The the word terrorism is using coercion or intimidation to you know, basically to you know, coerce somebody to one end or another. Um, and yes, that does include flying planes into buildings in theory to scare people out of bombing you. I guess that didn't work out so well if that's what they really wanted to do, you know, but it's an example of brainwashed patriotism at that point was this former soldier got really mad at me for using the term terrorism. And he's somebody that I know in real life. So I didn't really want to alienate the guy, but he's like, well, how dare you? You know, use the word terrorism in reference to somebody bullying someone on the Internet. You know, I went to Afghanistan and I fought terrorists. And I just was like thinking to myself, don't don't say it, Neil, don't say it. But what I wanted to say was how many Saudis did you shoot in Afghanistan? Because there weren't any Afghans on the planes. There were Saudis on the planes. You know, that's what I wanted to say to him. And after talking to the soldiers that I did for the, the fire team for freedom, they said that when you're in the military, you have to believe that you're killing the bad guys. It's one of the things that keeps you going. You know, it's one of the things that makes you capable of continuing to do that work. And, however, you know, even with these kinds of limitations, uh, I recently posted a video that I had found apparently from 2009. Don't know how I missed this statistic, but in the year 2009, more soldiers shot themselves and committed suicide than people who died in the year 2009 in the military conflicts in question more people killed themselves than were shot by the enemy in 2009 you know um and so but either way though i mean just kind of copying a little bit off of that is that it keeps coming back to the whole idea that you've been brainwashed to think that what you're doing is good you know you, you've been brainwashed to think that, uh, that that the system in question is working out just fine. You know, and I couldn't. I realized if I said to him how many Saudi Arabians did he kill in Afghanistan, he would not have reacted well. He would have gotten really mad. He probably would have gotten violent. Even um, he's kind of a violent fellow. He, he works as a bar bouncer because he couldn't really adjust to society in other ways. Um, and uh, the point though is, is that uh, he it wouldn't even have occurred to him that. It were Saudi Arabians that were identified to be on the planes. whether they were, you know, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but the official information even reveals that it was Saudis. Yet we didn't invade Saudi Arabia. There certainly weren't any Iraqis. You know, um, and even George Bush admitted they had nothing to do about it later. But so many people that that was another thing that happened during my congressional run that was terrifying. Was people said, well, well, uh, Saddam Hussein was involved in 9/11. I'm like, you didn't catch the memo. George Bush admitted that wasn't true like two years ago. You know, <laughs> what the hell? You know, it's but but they need to believe that because then the the politicians that they voted for won't actually be evil as long as they just uh, don't think about it. See. Well, it's, um,
0: it's a personal implication too, because you know, people who are participating in the system, even to the degree of just paying their taxes, are part of it. And, and to admit to themselves that they've been tricked means that they have to change something or accept the fact that they're participating in evil. And yeah, you know, some people, some people can handle that. And it's it's very painful. You know, I've watched people go through that process. But the majority of people aren't, and it's more so in the United States. I, I can I can say that with beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, and I, I see a direct correlation between religi- religiosity, if that's a word, sure, and and the needing to believe, needing to believe. That's essentially what it is, it's because it's, they've already been trained to need to believe. They need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, because if they don't believe it, then they go to hell. So they're already well on their way to believing anything because if you i mean there's n- virtually no difference in the credibility uh level of telling a person that formula and telling them that santa claus comes every year and slides down your chimney i mean the only difference is that we tell kids after a certain number of years that it's not true but if we didn't tell them if we just decided you know one year hey let's just keep it going you know then we'd have santa claus religion
1: That's actually something, no, I agree with you. That's actually something that I, I, uh, because of the fact, I mean, I already told you a little bit about what's going on at home. You know, uh, my ex-wife wants to indoctrinate our children and I finally had had enough of it and ended up having to involve the courts. And um, inevitably what the judge is going to ask me is what's your problem with this? And I'm going to say, my problem is not with religion in so much as indoctrination. You know, you tell them anything and they'll believe it. And that's not faith. Even several religious people understand that to be the truth. Like the reason that the, Amish church broke off was over an argument with the the mainstream church at the time uh, about christening children before they were old enough to understand what they were doing. And that's why in the Amish church, you can't be uh, baptized until you're like, I think it's like 16. Um, And that's only after you've had a period of of living outside the church to be sure that that's what you want to do. You know, that's an example of that. And it's even even the Muslims understand that there is to be no compulsion in religion. If I've had to force you to be religious, then you're not faithful. You just don't want to die. You know, <laughs> that's, you know, that's something that unfortunately isn't practiced. You know, it's something that's in the Quran that isn't talked about because they're using, you know, Islam to control people in those particular theocratic states. But, you know, it's no different at that point than the fact that Christians didn't talk about the different stuff that Jesus said that contradicted the things they were doing in the Crusades. You know, but uh, back to the point about biometrics, though. Is that this whole thing essentially will be this that you will eventually we will they will eventually have the American people conditioned to believe that it is patriotic to have these scans done to be registered you know they they will be able to twist it in such a way that it will be unpatriotic of you if you don't want this done you know uh, little psychological gameplays with things like the Patriot Act. Well, you don't want to vote for the Patriot Act, you know. You're unpatriotic if you don't vote for the Patriot Act. The the underside of it is that people are going to be told, well, you know, why don't you want to be scanned? Are are you up to something? You know, is there a problem? You know, they're they're, they're going to be told that it. You know, they're going to basically. You know, I can even see it now. There will be people who will be proud. They'll display their their real IDs. They'll hold them up high and they'll say to themselves, you see, you know, I'm clean. I'm not a terrorist. I'm a good American citizen or the citizen of any of these other countries that this is happening in because it's happening in other places right now. I was looking that up in Wikipedia, actually. It's becoming more and more prevalent. You can look up biometrics on Wikipedia and it goes over different countries and how they're using them. And now that they're going to become more and more of these countries, they're going to make it, you know, uh, something that's required of you for citizenship, and for now it's just immigrants in most of these countries, but how long is it going to be before it's, oh, you want a driver's license? Okay, well, biometric scanning. You you want a firearm? Well, absolutely you're going to get a biometric scanning.
0: Well, biometrics actually is already practiced in Texas in order to get a driver's license. You have to give a thumbprint. Mm-hmm. So right.
1: they, it's electronic,
0: you have to stick your thumb on there and it scans it. That's been the case since I was about 16, 17.
1: Well, yeah. And it's, you know, everybody, we, we've kind of given over the idea that, you know, having your fingerprints available, you know, those those have been used in investigations to try to help find people, too. You know, if you've been abducted or something, you know, then obviously they're, they're looking for your fingerprints on things so they can track you down. But when you're trying to scan how somebody's walking, you know, there's not a lot of positive uh, applications for that. You know, you well, don't they, they use
0: the, the same justifications stuff. regardless. I mean, they're going to say it's for criminals, but then... You know who's deciding at this point? When they've they've gotten so beyond the rule of law, you know, they've they've reached a point where, you know, the recent you know um, killing of that's um, I'm sorry, Al Al Alaw, Alaw, Alawaki. I can't remember how to pronounce it quite right. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, big news. You know, Obama announces it if it's you know as if it's like a great accomplishment. But the guy is an American citizen, and he didn't get a trial. Right, he didn't. He wasn't. It was never proved that he actually did anything illegal. He just got shot. Um, so, and they did that intentionally, I believe, to, to set a precedent and, and, to, and to send a message and to get people used to the idea: oh, this guy who's been, you know, we've been we've labeled as a terrorist, um, he just got shot because he's a terrorist. So, what happens when you know storm gathering gets officially um, marked as a terrorist? Um, then, you know, they're just, you'll hear a little bleep, blip on the news that, you know, a domestic terrorist uh, storm clouds gathering was shot yesterday. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. He's a domestic terrorist. Okay. Because they're told, and therefore, it is. That's, that's, it gets very easy to to manipulate people when, when they're operating from that level. And, you know, the biometric stuff, I mean, it is, it's just a tool that makes it Harder and harder to um, to, to live a, a private life, and you know if you're trying to be to, to speak your mind, that's when you actually start to realize just how serious this is. You know, when you do have an agent show up at your door, which they are, they are operating right now, they are sending people out, um, and you realize, hey, I haven't done anything violent, I haven't attacked anybody, I'm just stating my opinion, and they're interested in me. And when you realize
1: that these are the same people who
0: you know, shoot somebody that they've labeled as a terrorist um it's It's not a pleasant experience,
1: well, yeah, like you said, no trial um or people who reveal documents that show uh government corruptions and uh mis you know mis you know, basically misconduct you know being rounded up for those reasons as well. How long is it before we're all you know labeled as terrorists or or whatever and this is something I said way back when when i was on ron paul radio i was a free market libertarian at the time but even then i recognized this because a lot of the guys that i did radio with back then were extremely hostile to the left and it occurred to me that um you know this this definitely suits the purposes of any fascist you know movement to keep the libertarians fighting the greens fighting the you know the even the socialists even the now, fighting the anarchists – you know, all of the people who recognize there is a problem are at each other's throats. And in fact, they spend a lot more energy on that than they do talking about the common enemy. That's something that Stefan Molyneux and I were trying to work on was that it's necessary for people who understand that the state is a problem work together rather than apart. Because all of these people, for the most part, you know, accept the the non-aggression principle, which is the real important issue. If you decide that you want to go make a community that is going to be a free market community, have at it. You know, if an anarcho-socialist or communist wants to go make an anarcho-socialist or communist commune and he's not hurting you, leave him the hell alone. You know, there's a Facebook group, actually, that I that I look at frequently um, for anarchism and the whole time. All it is is, you know, anarcho-communists and anarcho-syndicalists saying, "Well, this is why I hate anarcho-capitalists." And then another fed will get started from an anarcho-capitalist will say, "Well, this is why I hate anarcho-communists." And and they spend time fighting each other all day. And, and I'm just like, "You know what? You guys are not accomplishing anything." You know, um no matter I it's almost like I guess they're hoping that they can convert all anarcho-communists and all you know And the other side thinks they can convert all anarcho-capitalists. And, you know, that's another thing that plays into the troll film is that, of course, they end up throwing insults at each other left and right. So they're not going to convince each other of anything, you know, Um, but it would suit any kind of fascist group that's trying to keep control over you to keep anybody who is interested in resisting what's going on fighting one another, you know. Um, And I don't think that people recognize that when they're when they're interacting how much energy that they have wasted, you know, attacking people who at least also recognize there is a problem as, you know, um, they're fighting over the solution when we haven't even gotten over the problem yet. And the time that we're wasting fighting each other is giving the people. Is This is the other thing is that our opposition, the quote unquote evil empire. Well, it's a dictatorship. You know, it's a fascist organization. It has no inner squabbles. And if there are any, they get squashed pretty fast. That's how the establishment works. They're all on the same page, people. And if we're not, we will fail. And we'll all end up in the same FEMA camps, you know, sitting next to each other thinking, damn, you know, aren't you that guy I punched out at that Green Party rally the other day? I I, I guess we're in the same boat now, you know, and, and the people at the top are laughing at us. You know, they yeah, think I, it's I see great. This
0: happening. I see this happening right now with, with the Tea Party and then the, the Occupy Wall Street. The, both of them have been treated exactly the same way, and I see the same phenomenon developing. Where you have, there's basically this tactic of first labeling them. You know, the, the Tea Party was labeled very clearly. These are right wing. These are more extremist than Republicans. And then the Occupy Wall Street. They're being labeled as you know leftist hippies. or you know Communist, whatever, so it's it automatically creating this division. People who are on the right say, "Oh, I don't want anything to do with Occupy Wall Street people on the left saying, "I don't want anything to do with the tea party; they're just full of shit or whatever, and then at the same time, they co opt the movement, you know they had the the main line um, rhinos taking over the tea party, and at this point, it's really just a figurehead of uh, uh or just a kind of a decoration on 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 the hat of the of the mainstream Republican Party, and the same thing is is in the process of happening right now with the with the Occupy Wall Street. They're, the Democratic Party has made an about face, even though they were the ones responsible for a lot of these bailouts. They're presenting it as if, oh yeah, we support the Occupy Wall Street. Yes, we you know we're behind this, and you know using it as a tool to get reelected. Um, and the reason this is effective is is because people are still tied to these um these religious tendencies you know the the left and the right paradigm is is a religious tendency people think they belong to the left or they think they belong to the right and then they think that anybody who is not part of it is you know an outsider it's it's no different than christians being against the infidels or you know, whatever religion you could you could mention it's like when you become part of that herd you you feel like everybody who's not on the same page is, is your enemy and in the end, that's exactly what makes these movements ineffective.
1: Just like I've quoted this several times, but Michael Badnarik did a speech between the, you know, before the Libertarian Party at their last convention, and I'm talking about this very issue that the Libertarians could not sell ice water in the desert because they endlessly bickered over the. You know, it's like he said that basically that 98% of Libertarians agree on 98% of the platform. But they spend 98% of their time arguing about the 2% of the platform that they don't agree on. And that they just, anybody that they oppose, they viciously attack with ad hominem and personal attacks. And as a result, you know, it all becomes about, you know, a grudge. You know, you humiliate someone in a debate somewhere, you know, in the Libertarian Party uh, where you use personal attacks and and stuff like that, then that person's not going to be inclined to work with you. And that might get you, say, the, the assistance of the people in your, in your, it, for a little while. But later on down the road, there's going to be a project that you want to do that is going to be held up because you offended that person like two years earlier about something completely unrelated. That's why I tell people, you know, if, if you really want to convince people of stuff, don't attack them because they're not going to listen. They're not going to be interested because at that point, working with you is like a concession to all of the insults you threw at them. It's to say, well, yeah, I guess I am all those things you said about me. Allowing themselves to agree with you is like a concession. Well, if I agree with him, does that mean I also agree with him saying that I'm, you know, that I'm this or that I'm that? And it's just, it's the most horrible thing you can do to, you know, prevent people from communicating with one another. And it's, you know, but you're right about the religious issue. And that's, it, it does get like that. And the, some of the hatred that these people spew I mean it's like you, you look at some of the, the videos of the town hall meetings when they're talking about Obamacare. And whether you support Obamacare or not, the, the level of vitriol that these people were spitting out over something like health care, you know, um was just enormous. And that level of hatred, you know, it's it's especially now that we're we're doing things like calling people names like un American, you know, we're 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 saying to people things like you know, well, you're a commie or or whatever number of other things. Um, these are powerful words and they lead to people being desensitized to the idea that something bad should be done to those people over there. You know, um, the Tea Party gets all kinds of coverage from the corporate media because the corporate, a lot of the same corporations that invest in the media are the same ones that invest in the Tea Party. Um, and it's being made to look like something revolutionary It's being made to look like something that is, you know, outside of the box, so to speak. And they have some people that they consider to be enemies of the United States, and they treat them that way. And it takes stuff like that, that kind of nationalism, you know, especially when people are desperate and looking for solutions. That's how people like Hitler take power. You know, you have a desperate uh, populace, and the more the economy falls apart, you know the easier it is to get people to look for someone to hate, for someone to blame, you know they take advantage of that they rein it in you know in Nazi Germany, the Jews happen to have a lot of money because Jews are really good with money. I have friends who are Jews; it's part of their culture. they learned it long ago because there was a long period in the Middle Ages where that's all they were allowed to do because nobody else was allowed to bank. So they made the Jews do it because the Catholic church made usury a sin. So they basically forced Jews into usury or you didn't have a trade. You weren't allowed to have a trade. And so, yeah, they're good with their money. And so in a state of economy, you know, and they also they took they also took care of each other. They did business with each other, things like that. And so it was very easy to point a finger at those people over there that still have money and then start labeling them as evil so that you can get everybody on board with the idea that. Well, maybe carting these people up and taking their stuff isn't such a bad idea. I mean, they're evil people anyway, you know. So taking their property is not such a bad thing, you know. Rounding them up in camps. <laughs> Go ahead. And I think
0: that was another one of those cases of uh, diversion, where you know the, the real problem in, in, in a situation like that was the banking system. You know, that, that's what we're facing right now, where we have these, these financial powers which are controlling things that are creating money out of nothing. And then they focus on the fact that that banker happened to be Jewish. Who gives a rat's ass? You know whether the guy was Jewish or black or Hispanic. Right. These guys have all sorts of different races. The, the issue is the control of money. And they, you know Hitler had just enough intelligence perhaps to see okay we have a problem with bankers. But his mind wasn't intelligent enough to see oh it's because they're controlling money money they're manipulating money they're they're enslaving us through money. No well, let's focus on the racial issue, and you know then they go off and put people in prison and kill people who aren't even bankers. It's just ridiculous at that point.
1: right, no, you're right, and that's it, it basically is a situation where uh like you said, misdirection, people are not thinking about it. people don't you know it, it all comes back to the efforts to keep you from thinking. And I see that, you know, with things like biometrics that people are not paying attention to it um, and are not paying attention to the, the different ways that it's being spun, you know, like in the original Zeitgeist movie, Peter Joseph used a clip from what was it? Good morning, America, you know, where they're talking about a family that's agreed to have chips put in their bodies, you know, and they're like, well, a new family in California has decided to enter a brave new world. You know, they've agreed to have chips put in their bodies so that they can be tracked. And then, of course, what is the video? After 9-11, I became very concerned about security, you know, for my family. And so I decided that it would be best that we have these, you know, tracking chips put in our bodies. You know, um, it's ironic also that they said a brave new world. (laughs) Considering what brave new world is, you know, that's an example of how these things get spun and thrown back at you. And... That that's one of the reasons why I tell people, you know, uh arm yourself with logical fallacies. Arm yourself meaning the understanding of them and how to avoid them. And how to or avoid them with logic. Yes. <laughs> arm yourself with logic in general. Um and become aware of these strategies. Because things like biometrics are essentially just a symptom of a much larger problem. Uh Scott Noble's work and the movie War." Um, is a perfect example of this. And especially when you roll into that Scott Noble's second film, um, which is about, you know, uh, basically like psychology and, and also, uh, you remember that really creepy scene in the back of that where they, they had a rat that was remote controlled? You know, um, I, don't, they, I don't think I saw that. I thought I showed you that film, but they had that 16-year-old girl who was being controlled oh. by a chip.
0: Oh, yeah, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah, I remember that.
1: You know, um but uh, by the way, folks, uh, all of the Metanoia films by uh, um, you know, Cywar and things like that, you can find in my must-see TV list if you want to look for it. But otherwise, metanoiafilms.org, Cywar, um, and the sequel to Cywar is actually <laughs> um, another film called Human Resources, Social Engineering in the 20th Century. This is essentially the dark side of the the work that Jack Fresco talks about, you know, that could be done to, to help humanity achieve betterness and to actually be able to make itself better. Just like any other technology, there is a dark side and the dark side to social engineering is things as common as putting devices on children's heads to watch their brain scans. When you're making advertising to get children to want products, you know, uh, noticing the reactions that the children have to certain sounds, to certain colors. I don't allow my children to watch advertising. And as a result, they are, they're interested in whatever toys I give them. Um, one of my friends, not knowing my no advertising policy at one point, turned on, I want to say, Nickelodeon. And within seconds, I'm not kidding, seconds, they were in my room asking for specific toys, excited about the idea because they watched a couple commercials. You know, the transformation was huge. And, within, you know, and, of course, also within seconds, I got right up out of my computer chair and turned off Nickelodeon and put PBS Sprout on again because PBS Sprout doesn't have any commercials for toys. You know, mm. um, so, so look very closely at this stuff, folks, because, you know, biometrics, you know, having these scans done, you know, we're, we're, they're looking into chips, RFID chips when it comes to that, you know, to be able to track people. When you watch the film Human Resources, you put together the fact that they're working on chips and already had chips that could create controls in the brain. Um, And this is real stuff. That's the funny thing. This is not science fiction. Scott Noble pretty much relies on declassified CIA stuff that they're willing to admit they did, Um, studies that they're willing to admit that that they're doing. And that's like, like a long time ago, back in the 60s and 70s. They, of course, claim that they're not doing it anymore. But hmm. like when you look at the pictures of Albu Garib and, and the other prisons and the stuff that was going on there, it's all the same stuff that was in these declassified documents that they were doing to control people's minds before. So Anybody who
0: has any question that they're still doing this stuff or they're even going more advanced should look into FUNVAX, F-U-N-V-A, I believe, X. Um, there's a video on it, on it. It's just a short clip from a um, government um, briefing. And um, essentially, they were going over how they can um, release viruses at this point that can attack specific parts of the genome, which will alter your belief system, alter the way you think. Um, Specifically, they had isolated the um, the part of the genetic structure which makes people tend to be religiously fanatic. That's why it was called FunVax. And it was under the pretext of using it in a place like Afghanistan, where we had religious fanaticism, and they were saying that they could spread it um, through a uh, common cold. And so, wow. you, know, that, you, you watch the video yourself, don't let me speak for it, but mm-hmm. it's out there. And um, that's pretty fundamentally scary stuff, because if you get to the point where you're going after that kind of behavior, you know good and well that, that there's going to be looking to target other kinds of thinking and behavior as well.
1: Wow. You know, that's actually interesting. I'll have to get with you off the air about that because that sounds like something Scott Noble would make a whole movie about. So um, I'll definitely be looking into that. Now, um, in any instance, uh, we've now come down to about the last five minutes of the show. Uh, Aaron, I have all of your stuff linked on my website, but go ahead and give your URL.
0: Waitingforthestorm.com is my my main website. From there, you can get links to everything else. Um, on YouTube, Storm Clouds Gathering, all one word, no hyphens. And um, you know, I'll put up videos. Sometimes it's every week. Sometimes it's three times a week. Sometimes I take a little break.
1: Right. And you cover a lot of different stuff aside from you know so you talk about survivalism. You talk about government corruption. You talk about brainwashing. Uh, you talk about atheist issues or at least just religious issues in general um and uh, i think i link your stuff all the time on my various you know websites and links because you know i've subscribed to this you know your channel it's still ironic that you and i are doing all this now when this all started off because you were an anti zeitgeist guy <laughs> so we've been on the show to debate and and since then we've become great friends and i i love the stuff that you do um and and keep doing it Aaron you know there are people who support it
0: well thank you i really appreciate you bringing me on it is ironic, you know, but it just goes to show that you have to be, you have to keep your eyes open and realize when, you know, you're fighting against someone who's actually your
1: ally. For sure. I mean, that all kind of plays back into what we were talking about earlier about how it would suit the elite to have us all arguing about, you know, resource-based economy, free market, you know, socialism, this, this. No, no, my idea. No, my idea. No, my idea. It certainly suits them to have us spending our time making videos and arguments with each other. Rather than exposing the elephant in the room, which needs to be dealt with before any of us could do anything that we wanted to do as far as the solution anyway. So um, that being said, folks, uh, thank you once again for tuning in to V-Radio today. Um, thank you also to everybody who has uh, donated and, and support of V-Radio. And once again, uh, for every dollar value of a donation that you do um, – uh, oh, and – to, in response to Charlotte Robinson in the chat room, his site is waitingforthestorm.com. If you go to v-radio.org, I have his website and his YouTube channel linked in the link section. And I was saying for every dollar value of a donation you give, you're entered into a raffle and whoever wins the raffle gets a free V radio t-shirt or item for the V radio store of their choice. Um, and in addition, I have kind of a strange request um, uh, that I am looking for a copy of Windows 7. <laughs> I hate to ask for this, but I know that some of you guys are college students, and you can get these at little to no cost. Otherwise, it's going to cost me like 150 bucks. My Windows is falling apart. It's you know, causing my computer to crash. I'm surprised it didn't crash in the middle of this show. It has crashed in the middle of some important shows not long ago. Um, and if you can get a hold of a cheap copy of Windows 7, um, as a donation to V Radio, I would absolutely be ecstatic because I'd rather not have to pay Microsoft 150 bucks. I don't like having to use it. Unfortunately, the version of Skype that you can get for Ubuntu is not very good, and you can't do video that on Linux than I've been able to see. And I'm thinking about switching this show back to the video format uh, after talking to the guys from you know Guy and Gal actually from Z Radio um, and the different stuff that they're doing with Sticky Cam. So, that being said, folks, thank you for tuning in tonight. I will, or, and I guess today, actually, for many of you. And I will leave you with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And
0: this is Jacques Fresco.
1: And you're listening to V Radio.